0: Hello, this is Dr. Chad Hawk with Matt Dowd, and we are Renegade Atlas, charting a new path for your life. So Matt, today on our show, we have a special guest, very special guest, uh, somebody I've known for... I, I don't even remember which year, but at least 10 years, probably a little bit longer than that. Um, her name is Ruth Graham, and she's written a new book that uh, we, you and I have both gone through. And I, I'm just grateful to have her on the show because, um, Ruth, I've never had a chance to interview you, and this is going to be the first time. We've had many conversations, but never an interview. So, Ruth, why don't you... Um, Introduce yourself just a bit, other than an author and speaker. Is there anything else you'd like to share about your life?
1: I am a grandmother of nine. I'm a mother of three wonderful children. That, of course, nobody ever says I'm a mother of terrible children. But um, (laughs) I have lived long enough to really like my kids. And we have a great time together, and they like each other, which is such a blessing from the Lord. So I have three. Right, uh, three children nine grandchildren and um I live in the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia
0: yes you have you live in a beautiful place and by the way uh, I know you've had it before but Shenandoah Joe is actually our sponsor oh right yeah okay. Shenandoah Joe coffee they are our sponsor and we'll probably mention them again later um Ruth um you have been in ministry for how many years now
1: oh dear I, I I guess you could say since I was born, but right. um, <laughs> I really don't know um, when I started, you know, public speaking, and then when I started writing uh, seriously, that was back in um, maybe the mid '90s.
0: Okay, um, and how many books have you written? Now I know I've read four of your books, but how many do you have?
1: This latest one was my tenth. I'm working on my eleventh.
0: Wow! Oh. Wow! Um, and why don't you give us the name of your new book and tell us where people can easily find it and then i'd love to get into some of the content of that book
1: the title is forgiving my father forgiving myself an invitation to the miracle of forgiveness and it can be purchased anywhere books are purchased i mean, go on online at amazon or your local bookstore and if they don't have it tell them to get it
0: that's right okay. um and the audiobook, which you you read it
1: i do read it uh-huh That was quite a a feat for me. I I tend to speak too rapidly and I read too rapidly. So it took me a long time to get that done, but we got it, finally got it done.
0: Yeah, Um, I'll I'll tell you, Matt and I both listened to it. I haven't had a chance to to get to a bookstore to actually buy the book yet, Um, but I did order it yesterday. Um, But you reading it, um, meant so much to me for several reasons. Uh, number one, I know you, and I know your voice and hearing you, hearing you tell the stories, hearing the emotion that goes into it. Um, there were times, uh, I'll tell you, there was two nights ago I was sitting there listening to it. Kate was reading her book. She looks over at me and I'm crying. She says, what's wrong? Aren't you listening to Ruth's book? I said, yes, but, there's a part in here we were a little tiny bit part of, and I, I just couldn't hold it in hearing your voice and telling the stories. It was more than I could take at the time. Oh, and, sure. and, Did, uh, um,
2: oh, and, and as I was listening to it, not knowing you personally, I thought I could detect emotion in your voice at some parts. Was that, is that true? Like were there some parts that you just couldn't get through without feeling it as you were
0: reading it?
1: I actually had to stop several times until I could get myself together.
0: Yeah. Oh, so, this idea of forgiveness, Ruth, um, this is something that is common uh, to every person. We all need to receive it and we all need to give it. And we need it to receive it from our Heavenly Father and we need to give it to, to others because we have trespassed against others. And, um, I'll tell you what, Matt and I have done several broadcasts actually on forgiveness already, but your book hits on so many uh, important topics on this and you get right to the heart of the issue. What was the thing, what was the moment that caused, that inspired this book? When did the Lord move on you and say, okay, Ruth, this is your next topic. This is what you're writing about.
1: Well, I knew that I had to learn about forgiveness. I had to learn more about forgiveness because I made a trip. To Angola Prison in Louisiana, and uh, while I was there, they invited me to go to death row. And I was with a team of people—a psychologists and pastors and leaders—who were we were dealing with the underbelly of the church. We were talking about pornography and abuse and divorce and depression and things that the church is not good at talking about. So we went with our, the team, and while we were there, they said, "Would you please go to?" death row and minister to the men there. And Angola used to be the bloodiest prison in America. And uh, it's 5,000 men who are in there for life. They've done some terrible crime. And um, and I thought, well, going to prison was one thing, but going to death row was quite a different matter. I thought, oh dear, I'm not sure I'm up for that. I was very intimidated, felt terribly inadequate, wasn't sure what I was gonna say or what I could say. But, um, I wouldn't go let the warden down so I said of course I would go but as we walked through the listening razor wire into this holding pin and the gates clanked behind us and the gate in front of us hadn't opened yet waiting to be let in I could see the guard in front of me with guns and billy club and lots of keys and it was just very intimidating to say the least and finally the the gate clanked open and I stepped through and the guard pointed me down this long concrete corridor, and I started walking down the corridor, and a hand stuck out from the bars, and I shook it, and he introduced himself, and we talked for a little bit. I asked about his family. You don't ask about the crime; you just ask about their family, and they have family pictures on the on the wall. And so I asked, sure. him. and um, so we chatted for a little while, and then he looked at me. And he said, "Can I sing you a song?" And I said, "Well, sure." So he stepped back. A, or two, and took a deep breath and he began to sing it is well with my soul and I thought you know it is well with this man's soul and so we talked for a little bit longer and he said and I prayed with him he said can I give you a gift and I thought what could this man on death row give me but he had made a little cross woven across out of threads from his bed sheets and I have it actually hanging in my home today and um it's a reminder for me to be praying for the men down in Angola. But hmm. I walked away, I thanked him, I prayed with him, I thanked him and walked away not thinking anything of it other than that it had been an, an impressive encounter. But when I got home about, well, the national news had gotten the wind of the idea that I had been on death row. And uh, so when I got home, I got an email from a lady and she said, um, did you really go to death row in Angola? And I said, emailed her back and I said yes and she said "Um, did you meet Michael Uh and I thought you know I'm sure I've met lots of Michaels but let me check with the warden so I called the warden I said "Uh, Burl did I meet Michael he said yes you did so I called her back and I said or I emailed her back and I said yes I did she said "Uh, do you know if he's a believer I said I don't know I have to talk to the warden so I called Burl came back and I said "Um, did I meet Michael and um, he said yes you did and I said, she wanted to know if he's a believer. And I, so I emailed her or I got back on with her. And I said, yes, he is a believer, but tell me, what is your interest in this young man? And she said, he murdered my granddaughter in a brutal way some years ago. And I want to know he's going to be in heaven with me. Well, that was such an amazing testimony of God's grace and forgiveness that I knew I didn't know anything about. I had to learn more about forgiveness. So that's why I wrote the book. I began to investigate.
0: So in this investigation, that that got the, that kind of stirred the pot. It got things going. Um, during this process of research and revelation and searching your soul, what were the things that the Lord showed you? Or what are the things that came up in your life that you just realized, this is way different than I always thought?
1: Well, I realized that forgiveness is not just a gift you give yourself. It's not just um, somehow to get emotionally healthy. It's, it is a sacred sacrament. And we, get, if we give it as a gift to God. It is holy. And um, certainly when Jesus was being nailed to the cross and he said, Father, forgive them, that was a sacred moment. And we are invited to participate in that moment and in that time with God. God invites us into his character. by by forgiveness and because he's all about forgiveness and it's very it's much more than just um psychological it is it is really a spiritual process but um you know we went from there and began to go through my own life and areas that I needed forgiveness. I needed to forgive myself for crying out loud. You know, I knew that. And we all have areas where we need to forgive. And and I'm not shy about saying I've been married four times, married and divorced four times. I don't like that. I'm not proud of that. But a friend of mine looked at me one day, I was beating myself up thinking, why have I done this four times? I've made the same mistake four times. What's wrong with me? So the friend looked at me and he said, you know, you felt abandoned as a little girl. And I thought, no, I, would. I didn't. I didn't want that to be true. I loved my dad, he was my hero. But I knew that the, pu- the piece of the puzzle fit. So I had to admit to myself that, yeah, I did feel abandoned by my father. As a little girl, I wanted him to tuck me in bed, but he wasn't there. I wanted him to teach me to ride the bicycle, but he wasn't there. I wanted him to take me out to lunch from school, and he wasn't there. When I needed him the most, he was the farthest away and I needed to deal with that. We all have a core issue and that was my core issue. I was looking for security. The lack of having my father's presence in my life really made me insecure. And so I looked for security in all the wrong places. And um, after the fourth marriage, I realized I had to deal with my core issue and I had to deal with this issue of abandonment. My father did not know that Um, And I was never able to have that conversation with him because by the time I realized that he was no longer conversant, but I know he hears me now and I know Mm. he understands and um, he would never have hurt my heart, not for anything in the world. He loved me. He loved each one of his children dearly. And I'm secure in that now. I, I just I'm not god has given me that security and i'm so grateful but i had to forgive myself and finding my core issue helped me do that because there are no excuses but sometimes there are reasons
0: so you you bring up several important points in your book that i i think were fantastic one is uh, you making the pain the hurt the problems sacred making those sacred i love that idea and then, like you were saying, talking about your core issue. Yep. And th- th- those are so, those are vital. Yeah. You know, the world wants to use the things that are, that ha- have been our pains as, or Satan wants to use those things as balls and chains that weigh us down and never let us be free, right? right. But forgiveness will transform that and use, as you said, make it sacred, make it holy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think we should say this just so if you're listening and you're not aware your father was um it was billy graham the evangelist um we didn't mention that and that would probably do justice for us to say that at this point based on what you just said um right the the core uh, how y- in the book, you you talk about how you're sitting there talking to a friend after years and years and years and years of going to different counselors who are all very valuable in their own way. But your friend just says you've, you faced abandonment. What was that moment like for you?
1: Well, tears sprung to my eyes and, um, and I quickly sucked them back in and said, no, I don't want that to be true. I'm oh. just, I'm, not going to deal with that. That was very painful for me. But um, I did realize that he was true. He was right. And I had to deal with it. And I had to talk about it. And I had to pull it out to the light and say, okay, let's look at this and say, yes, this is what has happened. And this is this is the reason it's not the excuse. But this is the reason I was looking for security in all the wrong places, I would have told you that Jesus was my security. But deep down where the secrets are kept, that wasn't true. And I had to face that. And that was painful.
2: Yeah. And I just think it's so interesting how, <clears throat> I guess the way I think of it is like, our Christianity can almost keep us trapped in that, in that place of not dealing with it, because culturally, we're not, quote unquote, supposed to feel that way, right? And we can... So we can not allow ourselves to go in and deal with those things head on. Would you agree with that? Like, is there truth to that? Is that yes, been I, your experience? I
1: that we, have, we have our Christianese. We have our Bible verses. We slap over top of things. We put on our smile and say everything's fine. And we move forward. And, um, and we're not dealing with the real core issue of, of our lives. And that's what we have to do.
2: Right. And I really if think
1: but, what that is, we can ask God to reveal it to us.
2: Right, exactly. That's that's beautiful. That's the next thing I was going to say is I think that's what Jesus was really getting at is not, obviously, not to put on a false front, but to really go in depth and let him help us. So that was another thing that really stood out to me is you're in the title, you say the miracle of forgiveness. And I was wondering if you could just talk about that a little bit, how, like, ultimately, I think forgiveness is outside of our power to even really do fully. Um, but another yeah,
1: point no question we, we don't have the ability to forgive yes we have a, the ability to to slap a bible verse over it and we have a, the ability to put on a smile and say we're fine but to really grant forgiveness where it no longer affects you that takes the holy spirit that takes a miracle and um i saw that really play out in my own life uh where i tell the story in the book where i was in sunday school class and we were talking about the culture of the Corinthian church and our culture, and we were comparing the two. And the Sunday school teacher asked, when did we as a culture begin that downward slide? And somebody in the back said, oh, when we accepted divorce. Well, normally I would have slid under the pew and cringed. (laughs) And sort of went in one ear and out the other. And afterwards he came up to me and he said, Oh, Ruth, I'm so sorry. He said, I meant to say when we accepted easy divorce. And I realized at that moment I was standing in Romans 8.1. There is now therefore no condemnation mm-hmm. to those who are in Christ Jesus. And I do not feel condemned. And I think because I don't feel for condemned, I can easily say to strangers, yes, I've been married four times because right. I don't feel condemnation.
2: That's my favorite verse in the whole Bible, along with Romans, <laughs> the end of Romans 8 also. But that's that's good stuff yeah it's yeah. uh i've heard it described as a wound you know that is that is now a scar and i think it's i don't know, tell me what you think about this but like when jesus comes back and shows the disciples his scars he's saying i'm not wounded anymore the scars are there but they don't affect me anymore
1: that's right that's right and it was as he showed his scars when he broke the bread and at a, with the disciples from emmaus that's when they recognized who he was it's when he showed his scars and we mm. need to show our scars to each other. That's
0: yes. Really yeah. Amen. Sister. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. That's really good. So mm. uh, the, um, forgiveness is a lifelong process. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, yeah. and forgiveness, isn't fair, you know, our world is always wanting things to be fair or our own sense of human justice feels like we're getting the short end of the stick if we forgive somebody because then they can, you know, we've forgiven them, but what have they done for us? Isn't that a common emotion?
1: Yes, I think so. And I think we all feel that. And, um, And yet we have to really take a step back and look at it from God's point of view and that God would have us forgive. And we forgive, not for their sake, but for our sake and for his sake.
0: Yeah, exactly. So I I have to ask, and, and maybe this is impertinent of me, but how has life changed for you since you've moved through this?
1: Well, it's gotten a lot easier. You know, I'm not carrying that anymore. Um, and and Chad, you walked with me through part of that journey when uh, I was going through the last divorce and having to confront my then husband. And uh, you were very very important part of that journey, and I appreciate that very much. And uh, you know, when friends walk through deep water with you, you're lifelong friends. So you are a lifelong friend, whether you want to be, or not? <laughs> You're
0: stuck. I'm stuck. But <laughs> that's cool. Ha- have you seen changes in your relationship with your kids, with your other friends, with your your savior? Have you seen changes oh, in those areas?
1: Oh, I, I know my savior in a different way. Um, the love and the tenderness and the acceptance uh, from my savior is just overwhelming. Uh, was you i just don't even know how to put it into words and then um of course my children i had to go through a forgiveness process with them and we had been through rough waters together and i had put them through rough waters and they had put me through hell basically (laughs) (laughs) but we uh we got through it you know and now we're really good friends and my two daughters live in my same neighborhood and we get together every Sunday for the Sunday dinner, just like blue blood family does on TV and Mm -hmm. we just have a wonderful time. I'm, I'm really, really blessed.
2: Can you, can you talk a little bit about like how you enter into that process? And I don't mean to make it like a formula, like just do step one, step two, step three and boom, forgiveness, you know, but is there a way you can talk about how a person can engage with the forgiveness process?
1: Well, I think the first thing we have to do is invite the Holy Spirit. And well, we make a decision to, to forgive, alright I'm, I'm going to decide to forgive Chad. And I, I tell the Lord, I'm going to forgive Chad. And at that point, we have opened the door for the Holy Spirit to enter that decision and make it take place. If we don't make that decision, there's no way the Holy Spirit can get into there. So that's the first thing, and ask the Holy Spirit, if you're not willing, say, Lord, make me willing to be willing, you know? It's because some people are just really hard to forgive. And then do not trust your emotions. Emotions don't tell the truth. And we can forgive, and uh, I can see Chad again, I say, oh, Chad, I remember what Chad did to me, and I I get angry again, I get upset again. You can't do that. And when that happens, be prepared with the Bible verse. Memorize something that's suited to that particular situation. And so when the emotions come back, quote that verse back to yourself, renew your mind with scripture. There's no substitute for that. And in that you just take step by step. That's, that's, you know, it's a lifelong process. And eventually like I did with myself, with my divorces, you don't feel condemned anymore and you don't feel the need to condemn anybody else.
0: Yeah, that condemnation is um, so rampant. Uh, In fact, yesterday I was talking to a patient who had never been divorced, but her husband had been divorced before he had married her. And um, she felt guilty for marrying him, even though he's since passed away. And to this point in her life, she still feels guilty even though she loved him dearly, she feels like there's a condemnation that rises up against her for her marrying him. Mm. And that that is the, these lies that we allow ourselves to believe, and we all do it. You know, we all believe lies. It's the work of of our own sinful nature. It's the work of Satan against us. It's the work of the world pushing in on us. But those lies, they really are they're a snare that trap us. And Christ says that he came to set us free, and those things continue to beat us down. I think one of the steps, Matt, to go, kind of go back to your question, is to identify those areas where we need forgiveness, is to say, what are those traps that continually beat us down? <clears throat> and I'm sure, Ruth, you had to go through that, through, through this healing process.
1: Absolutely. There's no shortcuts. <laughs> I wish there were. But I, in the book, I talk about my nephew, who was an Army Ranger. Yeah. And I asked him, I said, Edward, when you took captives on the battleground, battlefield, what was what did you do? And he was very specific and he said you have to be vigilant, you have to make a daily plan, you have to be on guard. And that's what we have to do with these lies. We have to be on guard because we cannot let the lies tell us who we are. It's the word of God. You said that you know that Jesus came to set us free. The truth sets us free. So the scripture is truth, and we need to use it like a weapon, and uh, and it's a powerful one.
2: Yeah, I, so I have a question for you that I want to ask, and it it's not necessarily from your book, I, but I haven't gotten all the way through it, like I said before. So maybe it is in there, but I've in my own experience with forgiveness, I've sort of come to view it like an identity issue and I don't think it gets talked about in, you know, just in general circles a whole lot this way, but and I want to hear your thoughts on it. I've come to see it like if I'm holding someone in unforgiveness, it's like I'm accepting their viewpoint of me, like their judgment of who I am. And forgiveness is releasing that and accepting God's view of who I am instead.
1: That's absolutely true. That's a good insight. But I think that we, again, We have to use the scriptures. We have to know who we are in Christ and how he accepts us and loves us so completely and so totally, Um, you know, it sort of blows my mind actually.
2: Yeah, that's cool. I I just think that for me, that helped me get out from under the authority of the wrong person, right? It's like we hold ourselves under their authority, waiting for them to grant us that approval that we aren't getting from them, you know, and and it can keep us captive forever.
1: And forgiveness does not depend on the other person. Right. Not at all.
2: Yeah, they may, may not know that that's how we view it or that, you know, they may be gone. I'd love to hear you talk about how to do it with people who have passed on as well.
0: Yeah, or you'll never be able to encounter in your life again. Right.
1: But you just, you, you you make the decision. It's it's on your side. It's, and they're gone, but it's up to you to forgive them. And and God will grant you the ability to do that. But it does not depend on, on them. You can yeah. forgive them whether they're alive, whether they're other side of the world, you can forgive. There's no limit to that.
0: That's cool. So, Ruth, um, somebody may be listening to this right now who's had some really difficult, terrible, terrible things happen to them in their life. And they they say to themselves, but she doesn't know what I've been through. She doesn't know the pain that I've experienced. And that's true, we don't we can never live another person's pain or life, but do you have a, a, some scripture, or some insight for them in those circumstances?
1: Well, if a person has uh, been abused, then that's a different matter. If their children are being abused, that's a different matter. Sometimes you can forgive without reconciliation. And I think that's an important distinction to be made because forgiveness can be unconditional. But reconciliation depends on the changed behavior of the one who's wounded, been doing wounding. So, um, you know, I would encourage people to be honest with themselves about their need to forgive and then they're asking for forgiveness, but also be very careful about reconciliation. And, um, you know, I love the Bible verse in Ephesians 4 be kind, tenderhearted towards one, forgiving one another. But it also says, forgive as Christ forgave. And I used to wonder, well, what does that mean? I can't forgive as Christ forgave. And I talked to my uncle one day uh, down in Dallas. He was a pastor. And I said, what does that mean? He said, Christ forgave freely. And we are called to forgive freely and not hold back and, um, and leave the results to God.
0: You just mentioned something that was my last topic on my list that I really uh, wanted to bring up, and you just did, and that's the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation.
1: Yes, it's, it's very important. We have not taught that. Um, and I remember what, with my first divorce, and uh, it was very, very painful, and I had so many people pressuring me to reconcile with my husband and tried very hard to heal that relationship, but it just couldn't happen. And um, I mean, I was pretty well beaten up over it. But I realized that there was so much damage in the relationship that I couldn't reconcile with him. And I wasn't willing to go around and talk about what my husband had done to me. But I just knew I couldn't reconcile with him. And, um, and it's okay not to reconcile. if you, Like I said, if you have been abused, you can't, um, you shouldn't reconcile. You have a spiritual obligation to yourself. And to your children to take care of yourself and children. Um, I speak that as a, well, I guess a husband can feel the same way, but um, I just, and abuse comes in all sorts of forms. I think verbal abuse and emotional abuse is probably the worst because physical abuse, you can heal, the bruises will heal, but the wounds and scars to your emotion and to your heart and your spirit are very deep and very real. And only God, only Jesus Christ can heal those wounds.
0: Amen. Yeah. Oh, I totally agree. Yeah. It's... Emotional abuse is uh, truly one of those areas that I think that the Christian church for decades and decades and de- centuries uh, did not give proper credence to. I think we're getting better at it, yeah. but um, we just haven't handled that well at all. I, I call it putting Paul before Jesus, where we start to try to
2: exhibit the characteristics of Christians in fellowship without getting the healing and transformation that Jesus offers through forgiveness and all that, all that he, you know, all that he did and does. Yeah. I have a, I have a question on a kind of a different tack. I mean, it's related, but um, have you done anything with like groups of people and, or applied this thinking about forgiveness to groups? And I'm thinking of in terms of like, racial reconciliation, or religious differences, or political differences? Do you, how do you see forgiveness playing out in those kind of scenarios?
1: Well, I think it's it's vital. I mean, Bishop Tutus particularly has done some studies on uh, the Truth and Reconciliation Committee in South Africa, and has written about that. It's powerful, powerful stuff. Um, the only groups that I've dealt with are prisoners, you know, and I'm now dealing with a prison in West Virginia, a women's prison, and we meet once a a week by Skype, and we discuss forgiveness, and these women, uh, I thought maybe they were drug, drug-related crimes that their boyfriends had done, or something. but these are doing serious time for serious crimes, <laughs> and um, they are just so honest about themselves and so transparent. They have nothing to lose, and they just are open and transparent, and yes, they are serious about forgiveness, and how to, but the biggest issue for them is how to forgive themselves.
2: Mm, it makes sense, yeah. I love the vulnerability and just when you get to the end of yourself, you know, and you know, it's kind of a, it's a line from a movie or something, but we know we're dead already. (laughs) And so, you know, it's, I think it has that surrender that Jesus, you know, invites us into, right? Come and take up your cross and die and let that false self be crucified.
1: Yes.
0: You know, Ruth, you just said something there that you take an inmate who, um, what else do they have to do but to work on this? And... (laughs) you know, they have nothing to lose. Well, the reality is none of us have anything to lose Mm. by working on forgiveness.
1: That's right. But we think we do. We're afraid that if we make ourselves vulnerable by granting forgiveness, the person will come back at us and they will hit us where we hurt. And um, we don't want to be vulnerable. We just don't because they will, you know, there's there's the opportunity for them to take revenge and none of us want that. But that's something you have to leave to God. You know, if you're walking in obedience with God, let him take care of that.
0: Yeah, exactly. Because until we do that, we're just, we're in our own prison. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you give our love to those ladies and we tell them we'll be praying for their, their work and how they move through forgiveness and, and how they'll be able to have their own ministry and what they're doing in their life, even if it's well, in bars.
1: Class to become mentors to other prisoners. Mm. So wow. it's, uh, and yeah. this is a pilot program. We're hoping to take it to other prisons. So um, we're excited about that.
0: Wonderful.
2: It's interesting to view, just as as an aside, to view prison as a mission field for the prisoner. I have a friend who's actually potentially facing some prison time, but like over these past few months, he's really gone through a radical coming back to faith and relationship with Jesus. And now he looks at this looming sentence actually as an opportunity to Mm -hmm. go in and like minister inside of the prison, whatever that ends up looking like. I just think it's incredible.
1: I I work with Global Prison Seminary Foundation and they, put seminaries inside of prisons so the, the prisoners mm. can go to seminary. They can get a, like a Bible college, get a degree. Then they are sent out as missionaries to other prisons. Yeah. And I, I've seen it happen mm. over and over and over again. It's really phenomenal. And the man who started is Burl Kane, and he was the warden at Angola. Oh. And he is now the director of prisons in the state of Mississippi, which is very exciting.
2: And that is.
0: that is fantastic, Ruth. Wow. Yeah.
2: Talk about taking something that, you know, Satan had intended for evil and using it for good. Exactly. Yeah. Is there anything else that we haven't asked that you would just like to share, you know, with regard to the book or the idea of forgiveness?
1: Well, I saw this um, forgiveness play out in my own family, obviously. But uh, my youngest daughter had a baby out of wedlock when she was 17. And um, we were not able to get along from then on. I mean, she just was bound and determined to go her own way. At one point, she left the house. She wouldn't obey the rules. I said, you can't stay here anymore. It was just horrible. The the relationship was severed. And uh, but not totally because we maintained relationship. We, um, We would invite her for dinners and, you know, things like that. But she was not allowed to be with us long term. And um, that was a very painful time in my life. And she was not a safe place for me, not at all. She wasn't a safe person. So we had our distance between us. And um, one day we were invited. She had had another baby out of wedlock and released and decided to parent that baby. And he was now well on his way. And we were invited to speak at a crisis pregnancy center in Canada. And we went, and she had never spoken publicly before about her situation. And I wanted to see if this was a way for her to get her feet wet, see see what what happened. And we went, and I was very nervous for her. She was very nervous for herself. But I watched her engage those people with such grace and such joy and such beauty, and tears streamed down my face. Mm. It's gonna make me cry because <laughs> I saw the miracle unfold in front of me. My heart was open to my daughter and it, as it had never been. Mm. And it was just a miracle of forgiveness and I'm so grateful. And now she lives four blocks from me and I just love it.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: but Only God can do that.
2: Yeah. That's so cool.
0: Wow. Thank you so much. Ruth. Yeah. You're right. very welcome. I appreciate it. Um, what projects are you working on now?
1: Oh, I'm working on a book on loneliness. <laughs> <laughs> i to do it, right? <laughs> Locked up in my house and <laughs> not going anywhere. So I'm working on a ah, on totally. so loneliness. You know, loneliness is really pervasive in so hmm. many lives. And, um, and when I started writing this book, I thought, well, you know, I'm not very much of a lonely person. Someone would say, do you ever get lonely? And I'd say no, because I was busy with children, grandchildren, with my work. But as I began to write the book, I began to get lonelier
2: and lonelier Mm.
1: and realize what (laughs) I was dealing with. And I have had so much fun this morning, yesterday and this morning. I have been in Gethsemane with Jesus. And that has been so enlightening. Mm. I have just loved it. And then I was in the desert with Moses. You know, I've just enjoying those kinds of um adventures while i'm sitting here alone oh
2: my. there's a lot elijah comes to mind too i mean man there's yeah.
1: but loneliness has a purpose you know we're not just lonely for loneliness sake there's always a purpose and um i'm having fun ferreting out the purposes in these lives more than just what we think
2: i, I, I like how you're sort of blissfully unaware and now you're becoming aware but you're moving <laughs> through it anyway because i think you know what's on the other side of it, right? Which is there's something better on the other side.
1: Oh, it's always better. When we're we're marching towards Jesus, it's always better.
2: Yeah. I just think that's such an encouraging thought. It's like for the joy set before him, he endured all this stuff. You know, isolation and loneliness and rejection and obviously the physical. Yeah. But he
1: did it for us. Yeah. And the joy was for us to spend eternity with him.
2: Right. Just to be together. Yep. Mm
1: And I think it's
0: getting closer yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. every day. Yeah. We'll accept that. We will accept that. Well, Ruth, um, if somebody would like to get a hold of you, uh, is there a way that they can, if they wanted to, you already talked about purchasing your books. Do you have a blog that you post or any, anything on social media that you want Graham.
1: to share?
0: Okay, there we go. Beautiful. Simple. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Ruth. We appreciate your time with us today. It is truly a treasure. And uh, I have to say, Kate wanted me to say hello to you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Please for And you you are lifted up in prayer by that lady often. I will say that. Thank you. So thank you everybody for joining us in Renegade Atlas. And uh, please do like and subscribe to this and share it with your friends. This is a message that I think everyone, mm-hmm. everyone needs to hear.